0: Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. We consider the research, talk to experts, and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days I'm joined by my co-host Raquel Ellison. Today, we're back for a special series talking to guests about the challenges facing the sandwich generation, meaning those of us juggling kids, parents, and careers all at the same time. Dr. Mary Bell Carson, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Jennifer. So Dr. Carson, you are CEO of Chief Financial Mom and co-host of the Real Money Real Experts podcast. And you teach personal financial planning at the University of Georgia and Texas Tech University. But your real claim to fame to me is that Mm -hmm. you started your finance career at age 16 when you started working (laughs) as a bank teller in your hometown. So can you... Tell me a little bit about how that happened and how you avoided the McDonald's fryer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an easy answer. There was no McDonald's in my hometown. (laughs) so (laughs) There you go. It was that or Gary Queen. (laughs) Yeah, I did. All right. So you were forced to work at the bank. (laughs) I was forced to work at the bank, right? Yeah. Honestly, looking back, I don't know how I actually got the job. I, I just think that it was something I've always really liked. I always took more business classes. Now, mind you, let me back up for a second. I grew up in a really small town. In fact, I graduated, I think, with a whole group of maybe 70 folks so there's like wow tiny tiny school pretty much if you wanted to play a sport i.e if you had a tennis <laughs> racket or golf clubs you were on the varsity team so wow. yeah yeah, yeah. really small so the, my dad i remember he worked uh, like he banked at this bank but i don't remember how it all came together that i actually wanted to work there but i did and i i got like, I'm sure it's a little internship or something. And I just really enjoyed it and stayed on. In fact, funny story. I will tell you, I was a basketball player, uh, as you probably you had tell. a ball. <laughs> uh-huh. I had a ball and I never made it past junior varsity, unfortunately, even <laughs> though I had a ball. I, I warmed that bench better than anyone else,
0: though. Oh, that was my volleyball career, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yep. Uh-huh.
1: So I quit. I know this was hard, but I did quit the basketball team to work at the bank so I could work more often at the bank, which shows wow. you just how good I was at, at basketball. But yeah, I, <laughs> I've i always had a love of money and people. And the bank really gave me that. So, and I will take us back in time for a minute. Now, when I'm saying bank, I just, my town was a whole 5,000 people. So this was one of the only banks in town. And this was, <laughs> I'm dating myself. This is before the time of computers. They had one computer in the entire bank, which ran oh, on man. DOS from
0: like the 1980s. Yeah. And we like the, um, the, uh, the, green writing? Like cassette, the cassette tape, or was it a floppy disk? Oh, I think it was floppy.
1: I think this was before because cassette tapes.
0: When yeah. I was a, a ninth grader, there was one computer in our school and it ran on like a cassette tape. <laughs> like, I don't even know what that was. So, yeah. I think yeah. I'm older.
1: <laughs> so we I, in other words, I never used the computer. I still learned how to type on a typewriter, but and we would use hand stamps. Yep. So I had a 10 key calculator and I got pretty good at that 10 key. And we would hand stamp everything at the bank. So I would say definitely cut my teeth from the ground up and understood basic level how to really be a teller <laughs> before computer times. But yeah, I really I remember thinking in my senior year. This was really fun to talk to people and talk about money. And so everyone kept asking me, you know, when you're a senior, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And then one day it hit me. I thought, money and people. Well, of course, I'm going to go to school and be a finance major. Because of course, that's money and people. And I know everyone's laughing right now. (laughs) Finance has nothing to do with money and people. It has everything to do with making corporations richer. But I didn't know that until... About
0: my junior. I don't year of know college. if I knew that either. Like I would. Oh yeah, it's not even like a a pathway of it. It's all really is about that. It is.
1: It's corporate finance. I mean, that's really yeah. what finance is. Finance is, so if you is go to a corporate business, finance. Okay. Yeah, if you go to a business school, that's really what you're going to graduate in is corporate finance. And I had no desire making rich companies richer. In fact. Uh, So much so that in my undergrad, uh, so I did work as a teller throughout my undergrad. Actually, I upgraded to Wells Fargo. They had computers back in the day. So I did learn a computer. Wow. I know, big (laughs) deal. But that's how I put myself through college is working there. And it was great, but I learned. So my junior year, I did not get accepted in the business school. So I went to BYU and at that university, you had to reapply. So you got into the university, but then you had to reapply to get the finance program, right? And so I yep. had gotten a B or a C, I don't know. I got some, my GPA that, oh, was like man. a 3.6 instead of a 4.0 or whatever. And so I didn't get accepted. And <gasps> this was the first time in my life. Here I am. My mom even called. She's like, she graduated, salutatorian, Of course, mind
0: you, it was like me and three other people. Yeah, we don't have to know how many. There was only <laughs> six people, but okay. Exactly. <laughs>
1: But yeah, so I, my life kind of went a because I was supposed to be entering as a junior and I thought, oh my gosh, what do I yeah. do with myself? And so I left. I was a political science undergrad because I really enjoyed politics and I went to Washington, D.C. and interned on the Hill. So I went a total different change of life and thought, okay, maybe I'm going to go into politics. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I got to D.C. and realized I, politics was not going to be my yeah, life That's a, It's either. a
0: particular calling.
1: Is it, being able it's to, pretty uh, brutal. I would not say it's a lifelong career for most. So
0: interesting to get to see it, though. See it yeah, up close. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree.
1: So I went to the school that my sister was going to. I grew up in West Texas, and the biggest university close by was Texas Tech out in Lubbock, Texas. And I was looking at transferring there. It was going to be six years to get a bachelor's degree. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just crazy, right? I need a master's by the time I get that. So my sister was in the College of Human Families, Human Sciences. And getting her early childhood education degree, and one of the deans, assistant deans there, was talking to my mom, and she was explaining the situation that she had this daughter in finance, and he said, well, come take this class in in personal financial planning. But it wasn't in the business school. And so I said, well, it sounds interesting. I have no idea what financial planning is. Yeah, where was it? It what was school? in human sciences. So it's Texas Tech, and it was in the College of Human Sciences. And yeah, Vicki Hampton, uh, who actually just retired this year, taught that class and just set a trajectory for my future career. So I had that class with several professors that are legends at that school, Dottie Durbin, uh, Bill Gustafson, etc. And they just laid a great foundation for me. So I fell in love. Like that was where I learned about taxes and retirement and investments and all the things. I remember talking to my dad about it and saying, hey, dad, how did you learn about all this stuff, right? Was it just one day you got married and suddenly you knew about (laughs) retirement? And he laughed and said, oh, honey, let's call the School of Hard Knocks. Well, I knew real quick, I did not want to go to that same school. So here I was... (laughs) Getting this degree. And so I quickly realized there is no way I'm going to spend six years getting a finance degree in undergrad and have to go back. So I yeah. left, went back to BYU, graduated in six months or three semesters, whatever it was, and got my degree. So my undergrad's actually in political science, and then went forward and ended up doing my master's degree at Texas Tech in financial planning. And that just put my life on a completely different trajectory, but it was that perfect marriage of money, and people, which is what I was looking for when I was working at the
0: bank. Yeah, because you often, like the, the certified financial planners, that comes after college, right? I, like, I actually never thought of yeah. what the undergraduate degree would be or what the traditional, like, four-year degree approach is to personal finance.
1: Yeah, yeah, so with certified financial planners, you actually have to have a degree of some sort, a bachelor's degree. But in order to sit for the exam, you have to have a specific degree in a certain subject to test out, or most often what people do are take what we call education classes. So you can either do it through a certificate, you can get a master's degree, or now they have undergraduate degrees in financial planning, and there's six areas that you have to study and take classes yeah. in it before you can even sit for the exam. So yeah, that's wow. what I did. In order to sit for the exam, I had to go, or I went through this master's program and then sat for the exam. I actually got the accredited financial counselor exam first. I was able to get that while I was still in school. And so financial counseling, take is that different. BYU. <laughs> uh, <yeah.
0: laughs>
1: so, no political science here, but lots of financial planning and eventually I went back and got my doctorate in financial planning specifically in the world of financial therapy.
0: Yes, which what is financial therapy? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Financial therapy
1: is rather new. So, it started right around, we had our first conference in 2010. uh, And really, it was a bunch of academics as well as some from the medical community, lots from the therapy community kind of getting together and saying, hey, this is not financial planning. We have individuals. So, let me use an example. For example, hoarding or gambling right? Right. While they are, could be financial in nature, gambling, I think, especially is obvious how that's financial in nature. It's also diagnosable. So it's a DSM for those that are therapists. You can actually diagnose gambling just like you can diagnose hoarding. And so with that, you have to work through or with a therapist or have some kind of therapy background to work with someone in that situation. Now it's much more expanded and there's many things. So this is, financial therapy is really helping change male adaptive behaviors uh, and including financial to become more holistic and more understandable in that human financial side. So it's really the relational side of money and the behavioral yeah. side of money, less about the technical side, more about how it interacts with you
0: and those around you. Because we, we all know we, we grow up with assumptions about money, oh, yeah. you know, that are generationally baked into us. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yes, and, and then a- we partner with somebody else who has his own ideas about finances, and then you know, like, oh.
1: <laughs> so there's yes. a name for that actually, and it's called money script. Dr. Brad Klontz has created this. uh, In fact, you can take it. I'll give you the links to include in the show notes, but it's a survey you can take and find out about what are these scripts you learned early on as a child that are influencing your thoughts and your behaviors behind money and why you interact with money the way you do now as an adult that started, quite honestly, even early in childhood.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I already feel like the the shell around my money heart like closing up. Like I don't want to. I don't want to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, there's easier ways. So let me back up for a second because that is. I think a lot of people are very protective or or just scared, right? We ha- yeah. we don't really talk about money, and if we do, it's usually not in a positive or good frame. Uh, and so oh. with that, I think one of the best ways to start conversations about money. He's talking about what we call money history. And that's simply asking a question. So in a spousal relationship, I'll use that as an example. My poor husband. We on his second date with me, we actually started talking about finances, which was totally fine with me. Not so much for my therapist husband. Oh, <laughs> he no. was not <laughs> some amazingly, he still asked me to marry him. But <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's what it started as. And really what it came down to is we started talking about, well, how did you grow up with money? And then I would share my background and he would share his. And it was just amazing as I've seen now. So just one example, he grew up at times very poor. He remembers sleeping in his car, not having a roof over his head, not having enough Mm -hmm. food on the table. And he remembers being hungry. And so that Absolutely impacts. In fact, we were just at the dinner table two nights ago talking to our three girls. And he turns to him and says, you know, we were talking about our blessings and all these great things, you know, and our kids grew up totally middle class. And he said, God remembers not eating. And he said to him very clearly, he said, I will never let that happen. And no matter what happens, you will always have a roof over your head and food on the table because he remembered that is a trigger for him. So mm-hmm. when it comes to like groceries or things like that, he's actually excellent at sticking to the budget and staying with it because he knows we only have so much and he's able to stay with it. So it's amazing how it plays out in his habits and his behavior and even his right. insecurities, all from those memories as early as childhood that have helped shape his development around money.
0: Oh, for sure. I, we, we have similar stories the generation above us and especially with college now part of our lives it's it triggers a lot of conversations about for my mom remember because she put herself Mm -hmm. through college and yet she went late so she could earn money and graduated on time which was one of her points of pride and all these things so that now looking at her granddaughter going to college knowing what it's like to not be able to afford books Mm-hmm. So that was her graduation gift was money for books. That you know, that's yeah. and to our daughter, it's not that I mean, she gets it. You can hear the stories and comprehend the stories, but you don't viscerally get the stories. I you know, that mm-hmm. where this is fully coming from. I I think as years go by, she will she'll understand it more more. I don't know, viscerally is just that right. kind of feeling. Because, you know, your grandmother tells you stuff and you're like, oh, thanks, grandma. Right, Uh right.
1: (laughs) And so there's this concept too in the world of of finances called shirts to sleeves. And essentially what that means is within three generations, wealth will be gone from a family. So let me use an example. What it is is someone who's pretty much impoverished, right? Rises to some kind of wealth. So they're a business person, they're a self-starter. They've created this business And what it's saying is within three generations, so not their children, but their grandchildren, that money will have disappeared no matter how much it is. We're talking millions, right? Yeah. And that is because of what you just explained is in their head, they've heard the stories and things, but they haven't lived. They weren't the ones that were working in the rice paddy or the sweatshop or wherever that difficult situation was. They were the ones that came up in this privileged state, and so they don't. Connect with that, and I think a more applicable example for those of us that aren't in that wealthy realm are, are our own grandparents, right? If you had a grandparent that lived through the Great Depression, I remember my grandmother very clearly. She would cut the corner off a of moldy cheese and keep eating it. Yogurt, you just oh. scooped off the top and you kept going because she remembers
0: being yeah, not having without, food.
1: yep, and not having food, yep.
0: That's yeah, it's true. And then you, uh, you can totally see how the next generation sees it. Either grew up with that person and heard those stories every day, or was party to it. And then the next one, you work so hard to protect Mm -hmm. that the next generation, Mm -hmm. and then they, you know, they don't get the thrill of living out of their car, (laughs) right? Right? Like yay, yeah. Well, now how does this all bring you to Chief Financial Mom?
1: Well, so fast forward, I went through a lot of different, I left the bank and became, oh, goodness, I worked as a lobbyist. I uh, worked as a financial planner for a short time. I went to the Pentagon for several years, ended up getting my my PhD and coming back to D.C. working for another association. Then I got married. And we had kids uh, that first year. I had my first daughter. And I started to realize I, at the time I was traveling constantly and we knew my husband and I knew that that wasn't the life we wanted. So Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I'm going to quit and stay home with my kids and just start my own business. So I had a couple of government contracts and would work with government employees, but I wanted my own business and I wanted something to start. And so in popped, I remember very distinctly with my first daughter getting a bombardment have diapers and wipes and clothes. And it seemed like every time I clicked on anything, it was more advertising and it was all to moms. And yet I never saw anything that was financially educating. It was just buy, buy, buy. And it didn't seem like there was ever an end to that. And so as I'm sloughing through those first few months after childbirth and trying to nurse and just all that crazy amazing but exhausting time of life, I thought, I want to help other moms. I feel that, I, and I've always felt this way, that I've been given this opportunity to have this wonderful education that I didn't have to go through the school of hard knocks and that everyone needs to know this. And yet, so few get that opportunity. And so, it was my way of giving back and just saying, hey, here's an educational platform for moms and the opportunity to learn more without being advertised to out the heels
0: and told (laughs) to buy some more stuff. Oh, that's, and so what kind of topics are you looking at on the site?
1: Oh, we cover a range. So I cover everything that's financial planning. In fact, our free giveaway is questions to ask financial planners, because I get that a lot, especially with people who are looking to do financial planning. And let's talk about that for a second, because I think this is an important distinction. Anybody can hang out a shingle and call themselves a financial coach. <laughs> so there's a lot sure. at, or advisor. I mean, I don't care how you scope it. Financial coach, whatever. But it's kind of like a layers of an onion. You kind of have to peel back to see where the wolf in the sheep's clothing is. Yeah. And so it really helps to know and understand, especially when you're not comfortable with money it's helpful to ask really good questions because then you can really get a sense of the person that's just selling you a product or mm. someone who's giving you realistic, good advice. And it could be both. They could be selling a product and giving good advice, but it needs to be someone that you trust, not just the first person you find. Listen to this in a phone book. <laughs> I should yeah. say on Google now. <laughs> <laughs> but it shouldn't be the first person yet. So often the way we do that is kind of like how we find our doctor. Well. Does someone know a, a good financial planner? Oh, right. yeah. so uses them. Okay, they'll all use them too. You know, and I think women especially are often cut out of these conversations for multiple reasons. Um, whether it's their own insecurity or whether it's a male talking to another male, and they, I don't know, they talk. We talk our financial language, and I think sometimes that scares people away, and mm-hmm. yet same time women are such a force I mean so often and this is part of your podcast right the breadwinners or even more importantly the ones with the checkbook or now yeah. today a debit card or credit card but they're the ones behind the scenes paying the bills and making it happen and really they are vital they're not there clipping coupons but they're there really with the the breadth and depth and many times in a family if the mother were to be gone or, or disabled or something happened, that was the person that ran the finances. So
0: it's really important to have those conversations. And why the moms, do you think? Like why, I feel like there is a sense of, we are the ones that run the budget, but is it the larger arching world of the finances? And I, could you tell I'm speaking from experience that there's a difference between budget and the whole financial picture of our family. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to stereotype because I know every family is different too. And that's really important to take into perspective. And that's why I'm not a big fan of big box names that tell everyone to do the same thing at the same time. (laughs) This is why we call it personal financial planning. Because it is a really personal thing. Even between two spouses, it's a very personal thing. And so one of the reasons that the name that I picked was Chief Financial Mom is from the idea of a CFO or CEO. Mm -hmm. Really, moms a lot of times are the CEO of their home, right? They're the executive decision makers. They are running the kids. They are, you know... Doing the schedules, they're making the food. They're they're doing so. They're going to work, whatever the situation may they're be. They're also the admin, but yes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and let's be honest. During the pandemic, I was the lunch lady, the <laughs> teacher, the I mean, yeah. you name it, I was it. Right, the cleaning lady, all of it. And so, I feel like with that, that's why moms are so vital. Is they're already the center of their little nuclear family's universe. And so it's not like you can pull money out of it. And I want to talk about that for just a second because money is a a resource. It is a tool. And we so often give so much emotion and feeling to an inanimate object, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so much that comes with that. But if you step back and look at it, it's instead of bartering chickens, we barter with money, right? Sure. And yet we give so much. Onus to that, and there's so much angst and anxiety around it. So sometimes it's good to step back and say, "Whoa, okay, this is our resources, and all resources are limited: time, energy, sleep, whatever the the mm-hmm. resource may be, money." And so, how do we utilize that for the best needs of our family specifically? And so, yes, you're right. While many times the quote unquote budgeting may be just the mom running that side of it, I think it's so important to look at how cash flow, I'm going to use an even larger term, beyond just budgeting or spending plans, cash flow is vital for investments. If you don't have positive cash flow, you're not going to be saving, you're not going to be right. putting money in retirement. You're not going to be investing. You know, we've all got to pay taxes. So it has such an implication, all of the other things. I think of cash flow as kind of the base of the triangle. And then everything kind of builds up from there. And that's why it's such an important base to have. Right. With that same thought, I will tell you, most of my early years were were spent in the Pentagon and on military installations. And, And that was a very unique perspective because this was during the global war on terror. And so a lot of, in these situations, a lot of times the soldier was male and Or could be female, but if it was male, the spouse was staying home and not just responsible for the children and all of the responsibilities that comes from being home, but mostly the finances because he Mm. was deployed overseas. He had no control of the bank. I mean, they were when they're overseas, they are on twenty four hours a day. For sure, time to go pay bills, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. And so it left the spouse doing all of those things. Beyond just bill paying and beyond just budgeting. And so that's kind of where my world, when I saw how vital it is that women know and understand and are comfortable discussing money with or without a spouse, because mm-hmm. quite easily there were some that never came home. And now she's right. fully responsible for all those decisions, both short term and long term.
0: Yeah. That puts it in stark relief, you know, of being. In charge and informed and feeling comfortable with making mm-hmm. these decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, now, how about our kids? You know, like it's that's something. So, my kids are teens now mm-hmm. and talk a lot about money. We talk about earning your own money and the like. And I still feel there's, we haven't unlocked all the conversations <laughs> around money. Like, we don't talk about our worries about money with our kids, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Like how, how to have these, how to impart those lessons, like, so that they aren't the third generation that it's all screwed up.
1: Right. And I think that's important that you, one, that you know your kids, right? So every child's different. Every relationship is different. And I think just like you said, your kids are on the older spectrum. Mine are on the just beginning spectrum. And there's different things that you want to talk about them. Yours are more mature and maybe can handle some higher level conversations. I will say the other day, and I, you know, you have these conversations and you don't even realize you're saying them, but we just bought a new house this year. We've had, New roof, all, i literally, we have been throwing up money, it's right? <laughs> Just to <laughs> so the point sorry. that you're like, okay. <laughs> and my daughter must have, my six-year-old must have overheard us saying this because one day she comes into me and she goes, brings us her piggy bank and goes, oh, no. here, mommy and daddy, you can have some of my money and I'll help you out.
0: Oh and and my thought, gosh! That's oh my goodness! Awesome. <laughs> well, it, well how it, much money do you have, sweetheart? Because <laughs> three we'd like pennies. a copper roof. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the thing is, I don't want to also send my. I don't want her to be worried. I don't right. need her staying up at night worrying that mom and dad can't pay for the room for the house or whatever the situation may be. Right. Right. And so there needed to be appropriate developmental stages as well that whereas we probably are going to talk to our six-year-old about the things we worry about, it may be really important to talk to your college-age student about yeah. it and have those conversations. I think what's really important with kids is that you're having conversations. And when I say conversations, I don't mean where you're in the store and they're saying, Mom, can I buy this? And you say, no, we can't afford it. Let's go. All right. That's not yeah. a conversation. What I mean by conversations is talk about it, just like we talk about all kinds of things in this day and age. You know, everything, there's a book called Your Money or a Life. And it says that w- we talk more about our sex lives than we do our financial lives. Yeah. And I think that's really important that we talk about. Money, and maybe start with how you grew up around money, right? That may be a good place to start with your kids or maybe their earliest money memory or one of my favorites, what what does money smell like to you? And you'll find people have different (gasps) answers with how they grew up, with their history, with what makes them them and how they view, not just the world, but how they specifically view money. That
0: is interesting. It is very interesting to see an 18-year-old essentially on her own for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, with a, with a nice safety net underneath her, but she's making her own money. She's got a work study job. She's doing all that she's supposed to be doing and studying and going to class, but hoarding every penny. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, you could spend a little money, sweetie. (laughs) Like (laughs) She's got her hand gripped so tight around the few dollars that she has. So, and you don't want to discount, you know, you don't want her to be like, you know, buying tickets to Aruba or something, but she could spend a little.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think that's maybe the conversation you have. So instead of making a statement like, oh, you could spend a little more, ask her. Ask her an open-ended question and say, talk to me. I've noticed that you, when we go out, right, you were only an appetizer or I don't know, whatever the conversation may be talk to me more about that. Are, are you concerned? What are your thoughts around money and, and why do you maybe hold it a little tighter?
0: Because, you know, you assume you know, but as Mm-mm. they get older that you realize that they have their own thoughts, Absolutely. You, you know, which is so, you're always surprised whenever your children reveal their true selves to them, to you, you know, it, like when they're six, when they're 10, it's just yeah. like, I didn't realize you had an opinion about that.
1: (laughs) Right, or what you've picked up on, right? So children sense this too very early on if there's dysfunction or discord or whatever, if you're fighting about money. They sense that and they can tell. And so it's important to talk about it. It, And it doesn't need to be a heated battle, but it needs to be conversations and making it normalized and okay to talk about it. I think that's what's so important. And and I don't mean just as children, even as adult children. I will say now, it's interesting to be in this phase of life now where my parents are, (laughs) I hope they don't listen to this, but getting all up in years. And uh, (laughs) they know that estate planning is I know estate planning is really important. It's and I'm very harping important at them all yeah. the time on this, but we still don't talk about money. I it know. is very like stay out. This is our business. Well not. And I think that's so interesting. And I can see generationally how that's happened in their family and their family. So if you're looking to break a cycle, the best thing you can do is ask questions, start talking about it. Ask your siblings, talk to your spouse, talk to your children. The more you bring something into the light, it's like a, the more you're able to open it up and really get to the heart of it. It's like the spaghetti noodles, right? You've always heard like, why does someone break spaghetti noodles in half? Well, because it didn't fit in the pan. And it yeah. could be something as silly as that around money, but it could be something even deeper, like I shared earlier with my husband, some pretty deep-seated right. issues that have gone back for generations, but we never knew
0: why. Oh, well, Dr. Carson, thank you for joining us. Uh, I've got the questions to ask and she's two days away from visiting, so I'm going to be prepared. Awesome, awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me on The Breadwinners. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us on The Breadwinners. I encourage you to email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe and to rate and review us. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM Network.